This is Pastor Rich here, and I have the opportunity today to share with you about one of the organizations that we are giving funds towards in our Christmas offering this year. Our uh, Christmas concert is taking place on the 19th of December, and every year there's a focus of raising funds for different organizations. And one of those organizations is called Free the Girls. It's based out of Chesterton, Indiana, so it's local, it's a part of the region, but it has a significantly global reach. And so Free the Girls is this fantastic organization. Uh, pastor Greg Arthur, who is the pastor of the Doonland Community Church, uh, he uh, is on the board there and helps to oversee some of that ministry. But essentially what it does is this exists, it exists to resource, but also reintegrate women who have been caught in human trafficking all over the world and making sure that they have a way to not slip back into that again once they're rescued out of human trafficking. It's a, it's a huge need. And you're gonna see a video in just a, a bit about Free the Girls. But just in summary, our staff was able to visit them this week. And uh, we had a great time learning and growing and understanding what the ministry of the Free the Girls looks like. Um, the big thing that they're known for is they collect bras. Okay, so they collect bras, and that's kind of a hot commodity in different parts of the world where there's just not a lot of access to those things. And um, what happens is we collect bras, they collect bras, and those bras then are shipped to different parts of the world. And women who have been rescued out of trafficking then are taught micro-enterprise skills to be able to turn those things around and sell those and use that to build a different life for themselves, a new life for themselves. Uh, we as a church own some of the responsibility for what it looks like to bring the kingdom of God to bear on these situations that we find ourselves in in the world today. And we have that opportunity. So I just want you to be praying about how God would have you uh, give towards the Christmas offering this year. And uh, in the meantime, take a look at this video and, uh, and be praying for Free the Girls. In the foyer and uh, also in the community space, there's an opportunity and there's a box there for you to be able to bring in any donated bras uh, that we can send as well. So I wanna encourage you to visit the community space today. There's some brochures, there's some information in the Welcome Center as well about Free the Girls, but uh, I wanna encourage you to check that out. Uh, be bringing some of those bras to donate and uh, we look forward to partnering with you in those endeavors. difficultad fue grande porque até a chegar o ponto de nós irmos fazer a prostituição era para dar de comer os nossos filhos of Jesus, the day we learn there are 40 million slaves in this world is a day that changes us. How will we live once we know? When Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, declaring his purpose and how the world would change now that God's kingdom was coming into the world, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The story of God's work in the world has always been interwoven with setting slaves free and bringing justice and healing to the oppressed. So how will we live as God's people in a world where slavery is as terrible a reality as it has ever been? Free the Girls is part of God's work of freedom helping to empower women who are survivors of sex trafficking to move beyond oppression, beyond trauma, beyond their past, and into a life of true freedom. Amen. Well, uh, I want to encourage you. The, uh, the concert I know is coming up, and uh, that's always an exciting time, but it does become kind of this catalyst moment for us. 
where we have the opportunity to really uh, invest in others. And uh, what's amazing about Free the Girls is it's local. There's a, there's a church in our region that's actively engaged in that, but it has a global reach, which is exciting for me. And I just want to encourage you to be praying. Um, I really want to encourage you too. I'm not sure how many of you do this, but I want to encourage you to follow us on Facebook. There's a double-edged sword there because um, I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook, as I'm sure some, many of you do. But uh, we actually, it's a, it's a good communication tool, and there's important stuff that comes out every week. So even if you check it once a week, maybe it'd be worth it. But uh, I'd love for you to follow us there. And then also, we do send out a couple, at least one weekly email. And uh, you might just submit a Connect card or, or something or email the office just to make sure we have your right email address because there's a lot of good information, important information that comes out on a weekly basis, and uh, we want to make sure none of you miss that. So, hey, those tickets that you have for the concert are not yours. They're not yours. Those belong to somebody else. You take them, and you lose them, not in the floor of your car or in the back of your Bible. Give them away. Invite some people to the concert. I'm making the grand assumption that you will already be here. And so uh, you take those tickets, you invite somebody uh, to be here for the concert. And of course, next week, as Pastor Ben said, is Jingle Jam. And uh, I, that's just fun for everybody, isn't it? So we're going to have a, a good time next weekend. So it's good to be, it's going to be doing Christmas with you this year. I'm glad, glad to be here. I want to read for you Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, a very common passage at this time of year, obviously. But uh, let me read this for you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. The words will be on the screen. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to, to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today with your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it, what we need to hear. And open our hearts and our minds to what you need to say. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was growing up um, in the town that I lived in, my grade school was two blocks from the house I grew up in. I grew up in that house from four years old all the way through until it was my boyhood home until 2018. I didn't live at home until 2018, just to make that clear. Uh, but that was when my dad passed away and that was it. We we sold the home, but uh, my childhood home, two, two blocks away from my grade school. So, I mean, I walked there all the time, but the best part about the grade school was the playground that was there. We had balance beams and 
all kinds of the swings, everything. You, we had one of those giant steel slides that would never be allowed now, but you climb up this giant ladder and you slide down that thing, and in the summer you burn yourself because it's so hot. Because it was the 70s and 80s, all of us had shorts that were way too short. And so it made all kinds of noise when you slid down and, and burned you, and you screamed and cried, but you did it again. And uh, one of those things, but what was really great about that playground is there were two ball diamonds. And those, those ball diamonds were really important to me. I spent who knows how many hours playing kickball and baseball and all kinds of stuff at those ball diamonds. But those ball diamonds also, uh, every day of school, when that bell would ring and we'd have recess, we'd all run out there to those ball diamonds. And that, those ball diamonds are where we all learned kind of how harsh our world is. In, in the sense that it was always a popularity contest. It was all, we, were, we, just, we figured out really quickly that the world will divide you into camps. And uh, you find ju just where you are in the pecking order of life. And uh, generally what happened is you had one guy, he was the bully, okay? Uh, he was the bully, sometimes he was the most athletic, sometimes both, but he was the one that came out of the building with the ball, okay? So he was the one who brought the ball out. He would stand there, and everybody would line up on the fence to get picked for a kickball, okay? And you, I know you can relate to this. You've seen that scene. And so uh, what also would happen is there's usually a couple other minions, right? Uh, these were also kind of sub-bullies. They were athletic as well, but they were, they were sub-bullies under the king bully who had the ball, but sub-bullies... They were the ones that picked the teams. They were decided who got picked and who didn't get picked. And then once the teams were picked, the bully who had the ball decided which team he would be on, okay? So that's, that's kind of how it would play. Now, inevitably, what would happen is you would line up on that fence, right? You'd line up on that fence, and all of a sudden, the best ones would start getting... I want Jerry. Jerry, I knew, I knew no kids growing up named Jerry. Um, Richie, there we go. I, Richie, I was not the best, by the way. Richie, I want him on my team. He was on your team last week, no, 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 all this. So back and forth, back and forth. We're picking the best ones, you know, and pretty soon you start narrowing down, narrowing down. Well, there's only so many positions on the field, right? And so inevitably, what you always had over here on this fence lined up was this group of kids that never got picked, right? They never got picked. And so they're all just standing there because... They want to be picked, but they just, they just never picked. And so that's horrible, right? That feels horrible. You don't want to be one of those kids. But what's worse is when the teacher then comes out and says, no, everybody needs to play. And now, now it's, you're not only are you not picked, there's pity involved. That's not fun either. Okay, so the teacher's like, no, we need to do this. So let's say there's eight of you guys don't take that personal. I just said you guys that I don't think that you're the not picked people. You were probably the first. Okay. <laughs> I was one of the not picked people every once in a while. But so you, let's say there's eight of them, right? All right? The teacher would come out and a four need to go on that team and four need to go on that team. That's great. Well, then the powers that be, you know, ultimately what would happen is those kids, those unpicked kids, those unskilled, unpopular, unpicked kids, they would end up in right field, but not even just in right field. They would end up like in the corner of right field. Just go stand out there. And so we'd stand out there, you know, pick dandelions and pop them, you know, just whatever. You know, all the things that's fun to watch when you got a kid playing Little League. Like, what are you doing out there? Wake up. So that's, that's who we are. So we're the kids out there in the corner of right field. We're not even in right field. We're in the corner of right field. Every once in a while, every once in a while, Billy at shortstop would get hurt. Oh, I hurt myself. And one of those kids, all right, come take his place. We're like, one of them got out. One of them made it. They, it's like going from AAA, right? <laughs> up to, they, they're moving up the ranks. But sure enough, Billy would be like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then they'd have to go back and our hopes would be dashed and all that kind of different stuff. All right, keep those kids in your brain, okay? That picture of those kids out there in the back corner of right field. Keep those kids in your mind right now. So Christmas, Christmas specifically, the weeks leading up to Christmas are called Advent. 
Advent is the anticipation of something that is coming. And uh, Christmas is the season of music. We've talked about this. Some of the songs that we love emerge from passages of Scripture like I read this morning. And uh, last week we talked about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, that really is born out of the Old Testament prophecies that there would be a Messiah that would be born. You will call his name Emmanuel because he will save their people from their sins. God with us. So that's kind of the direction that that went. Uh, this week, it's not hard. This, this song, this, this narrative that we just read in Luke chapter 2, there's shepherds and there's angels. And there's tons of songs that you can pull from. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing, or, I mean, it's just, there's that. Nobody knows that one. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I mean, so there's all of these songs that kind of float around this. The song that I want to share with you today, though, uh, is different. I don't even know that you could call it a Christmas carol. Um, you could probably call it an American carol. It's, it's called I Wonder As I Wander. And it's not extremely well known. There's some artists that have recorded it uh, of repute. Mahalia Jackson does, I think, the best version. But um, it's, not a, it's not very well known. But uh, every time that I hear the narrative where the shepherds are approached by the angels in those fields that night, this is the song, I Wonder As I Wander, that comes into my mind. And uh, it's kind of a haunting song. We're gonna get to it in just a little bit, but first, this passage at the angels' song is, is different in that, yes, it's incredible, it's powerful, the angels show up, they say the stuff that they say, but. I think almost even more profound is who they are singing this song to. Of all people, it's the shepherds. Not only that they're singing this song to the shepherds, but then also the shepherds' response to hearing that song. I think that that's largely uh, amazing. It's just amazing. Uh, this last week, I learned about this thing on Spotify. I don't know if any of you use Spotify to listen to music and stuff like that, but Spotify will do this thing called Wrapped. It's Spotify Wrapped, where they will look at your statistics from this entire last year, and they will give you a nice little wrapped-up picture of what song you listened to more than any other song this last year. They'll tell you the, your top 10 songs, your top genre that you listened to this last year, and then the really spooky one, how many hours you spent listening to all of this music this last year, which is sobering. Okay, but they'll wrap it up in a nice little package for you. Here's the deal. The shepherds, up to this point in their life, had no song. They had no song. Uh, they had long since stopped lining up on the fence to be picked for a team. They just knew their place. So they didn't even line up on the fence anymore. They just went ahead and headed out, not even to right field, but the corner of right field. They just knew where they needed to be. Okay, so imagine those kids on that kickball field 10, 15, 20 years later. They just settled in their place. Societally speaking, they just recognized who they were. They weren't one of those people. They were those people. They just knew that. Um, as, as is the case with many things, I mean, I know we like to talk about how horrible the commercialization of Christmas is and, and all that stuff, but I'm sure we all still hung up lights, you know, and we, we like to do those things. Uh, but as is the case with a lot of things, the picture that we have of Christmas has been very romanticized. I mean, the, the nativity scene. I mean, I did it when I set up our nativity scenes. You arrange them in a certain way. You know, you know exactly where Jesus goes. He's right in the middle, and everybody's, everybody's so... Um, respectful in the nativity and just so reverent and everybody's bowed and everything. It's very hallmarky, okay? Hallmark sells. And so we, we like that. In fact, what visually we've become accustomed to actually is because of really artwork in the medieval time period. I want to show you a painting here really quick. This is the Annunciation of the Shepherds. It's painted about 1400. I want you to look at that painting for a second. So this is the scene we just read. 
I bet that you didn't know that there were castles and windmills in Bethlehem. That's a joke. <laughs> because there aren't. There aren't. And unfortunately, what this does is it, it just reveals to us and, and it challenges our understanding of the power of this song and, and stuff because the imagery has been, first of all, overly anglicized, but it's also been filtered. We, we like to see things through our sensibilities. We like to experience things through our expectations and the things that we're like or, or in the way that we like to see things. Hallmark sells, okay? There's a reason they crank out new movies every year for Christmas. Most telling, though, to me, is how sometimes the bit part people, the right field corner people are portrayed in some of these stories, like these men in the field. Make no mistake, these guys in the field aren't sitting around a campfire telling warm, fuzzy stories, okay? These are rough dudes. They're rough dudes. Uh, They were unpicked kids that had been sent out to the field years earlier and just never came back in to stand at the fence. They knew their place, right? They lived a questionable existence. They were rough guys. Uh, The job that they had, not only, what's really, I I think of shepherds, I'm like, wow, they're watching their sheep. They're not their sheep. They're not even watching their own sheep, okay? But the job itself of being a shepherd, because sheep were unclean, was it made them unclean. And so listen very carefully. These shepherds, all that they're, they're doing a, a needed job, they became ceremonially unclean for the religious establishment of the day. So they were not allowed in the temple. Not allowed in the temple. Not even allowed to the outer courts of the temple. I want you to think about that just for a second. They had no place at the table in the religious world of that day. Now, I don't know about you, my mom raised a smart aleck, okay? And uh, if somebody would have been that upfront with me and said, yeah, we don't want you here, I would have been like, okay, fine. You don't want to pick me? I'm going to show you all the reasons that was a really good idea. I'm going to act out. So what's amazing to me in all of this is it's those guys that got picked first. Those guys out of all of them, got picked first. The angels did not go to Herod the king. Herod the king, he's the guy with the ball. He came out with the ball. He's calling all the shots. That's Herod. He doesn't go to Herod. The the angel doesn't go to Herod. The news isn't given to Herod first. The news isn't given to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the minions, the, the team captains who got to choose who was in and who was out. It didn't go to them first. Who did it go to? the guys who never get picked, the guys in the back corner of right field, the nobodies, not the influencers, not the powerful. Listen, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And listen, I know we all want to be like noble. I would have picked the shepherds. No, you wouldn't. Neither would I. We wouldn't have picked those guys because we want to win, right? We wouldn't have picked those guys. But that's who God came to first. First, his ways aren't our ways. And very briefly, I just want to unpack for you a couple things about the experience of those out in the fields. And and I think we see in this what our response is supposed to be. The shepherds responded, but we begin to see what our response is. And the first thing about this song is it's a song for everybody. It's a song for all of us. No matter who we are, no matter what your heritage is, no matter how you were raised, no matter what somebody has said about you, it is a song for all of us, all of us. And I think that that reveals the true heart of God. He came for everyone, everyone, even the counted out people, people who just are going through the routine of life that nobody notices. In fact, um, on the fringe of society, better, better seen and not heard, or even, you know what, it's okay if we don't even see them. We don't even see them. Over the last few years, I've spent a lot of time studying Compassionate Ministries organizations. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, 
you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that the church of the future is not focused on what it truly does mean to love God, love others, and serve the world. Uh, it's time to put feet to what we say, and the world has got our number, okay? We can pontificate all we want, but unless we're out there loving on the poor, serving the needy, helping the widow and the orphan, unless we're out there actively engaged in those kinds of things, the world has got our number, got want, want nothing to do with us, okay? Nothing. And so I, I, I've come to understand that I need to be the kind of a leader who can lead a church in that way and through those things and navigate some of those nuances, right? I mean, what we're doing right now in this room is very important. We're the church, but we're also the church tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning, okay? So what does it mean for us to do that? And I've gotten to meet some incredible people as I've studied and learned. I've been to Guatemala a number of times and seen how compassionate ministries happens on a global scale, but it was important for me to begin to learn what it looks like in a North American version, and there's a really great example in Indianapolis, actually. It's a shepherd community. Some of you may have heard of that before, shepherd community. It's a great example of the Nazarene Compassionate Ministry in the United States that is doing something that's just profound. They're living out the gospel. I mean, it's just amazing. But they're in a very urban, very rough area of Indianapolis on purpose, and they're reaching out to forgotten people left and right. And I've had the privilege of being there a couple times. One time I took a group down there to learn, and as we were sitting in a, in a classroom environment, essentially learning at some point, uh, I heard something about poverty that really kind of, it shocked me a little bit because I just wasn't expecting it. I hear the word poverty, you hear the word poverty, we think lack, right? I lack food, I lack finances, I lack a job, I lack a means I lack shelter. I lack those kinds of different things. And what's really interesting is what they discovered because they are entrenched in their community. Those people know the people that live around their facility. And what they know about those people is more than anything else, it's a poverty of loneliness. They're lonely. And these are people that they're not just on the margins of society. They're not in society at all. They're invisible. We don't see them. We don't know them. And because they're not in society, they don't even know the opportunities and the, the situations that are available to them because there's nobody in their life that is, is stepping in that gap and helping them. And so in that loneliness, in that isolation, in that seclusion, they're never even remotely, I mean, the idea that they can step out of that and into something else isn't, isn't even a concept for them because they're so lonely and isolated, they have nobody in their life. I mean, I've, to hear them tell the stories about the people who just die alone and for days nobody knows. Nobody knows because there's nobody in their life. Loneliness, loneliness. Um, they're doing an incredible job. And one of the messages of this song that the angels sing is that he came for all of us in the ordinary places, the lonely places, the forgotten places. He came to those living on the outside, always looking in, looking for someone, looking for something to stand in the gap for them in, in their pain and in their loneliness. This song is being sung to people out in the right corner of right field for a reason, for a reason. It's because if those people can hear the message, then it must be a message for everybody, for everybody. But it's also a song that is a song of solicitation. It's not just a song that's pretty and it's amazing, and wow, awesome, that's great, but it, it, it solicits a response. We're supposed to respond to what we hear in this song. Let me read it again for you. It's 10 through 15, Luke 2, 10 through 15. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Okay. Suddenly, there was an angel 
and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and this is where we get these songs from, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. When the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds turned and said to one another, dude, awesome light show. I mean, if they would have had a fog machine, holy cow. I mean, look, do you think they're going to do it again tomorrow night? I mean, pass the pork chops. Let's, let's figure out, let's have a party. That's not what they said. They said, let's go. They just told us about something. Now, let's go. Let's go see. Let's go hear. Let's go find. Listen, when God offers you an invitation to step into this flow of grace that he is pouring out, the only reasonable response is accept that invitation to respond, to engage it, to embrace the grace that God is offering you in that moment. It's a response. It's a response. Now, what's amazing to me is literally the only people at this point. I mean, there are other people that knew Mary was pregnant and all that kind of jazz and everything else. The only other people right in this moment that knew that that baby was there are these guys and Mary and Joseph. That's it. These guys. They're not even the B team, okay? They're not on a team. But it's these guys. The result of this song that they hear is the same response that should come from all of us. They went glorifying God. Glorifying and praising God. Now, you know me well enough at this point to know I ask questions, so this begs a simple question. Does your life express joy because of Jesus? Today, does your life, the actions of your life, the words that you speak, about the words you post on Facebook? Yeah, that was the quiet part out loud. Do those represent joy because of who Jesus is in your life? At work, at school, is the marker of your life glorifying and praising God because of Jesus? Is that what you're known for? Now, if you're like me, it's easy to forget that I'm one of those back right corner guys. That's me. And you might be thinking, eh, I'm more of a first base player. I mean, that, that's where I am. No, you're not. You're with me out there. We're all right corner. Listen, not everybody gets to pitch, right? Not everybody hits a dinger every time they get up to, to, to the plate, all right? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on the outside looking in. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to come is because we're all, all of us, are right field, right corner, picking dandelions out there kind of people just like these shepherds. And I think that's one of the most amazing aspects of the narrative and, 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 and the nativity scene in all of it. And I think sometimes we forget this because we're so busy as well. Um, we get so busy. I'm, I'm so frustrated with life. I don't know if anybody else gets that way, where you just realize tomorrow's Monday. <laughs> My schedule's already set, you know, I got this meeting, I got that person I got to talk to, I got, you know, all those things. I mean, if you came up to me right now, and I'm not complaining, but if you're like, hey, pastor, could, you know, you and I get some coffee and talk, the first thing I have to do is grab my phone and look at a calendar. That's frustrating to me. And I, we, we fill our lives with so much stuff that I think sometimes we lose the wonder of the amazement of what we're talking about here. We lose the wonder and the amazement that God would come for such a person as I. Someone who, for years and years, and I still drop the ball, but for years and years and years, honestly could care less about God. And if you told me he loved me, I would say, yeah, I don't really give a fat rip. That he would come even for me, for me. Are we so busy that we lose the wonder of that? Our priorities and our routines, they're predictable. Our schedules are programmed, our children are busy, our lives are packed. Our lives are so packed that we actually don't live. I'm comforted 
and a little uneasy, but, but I'm comforted that we have a, a God that I think loves us enough to arrest us in the midst of our busyness and make us stop for a second. You know, that, that God would somehow allow things to happen in our lives sometimes so that we were forced to stop and look up and hear the words of God, to hear the song of an angel, that we might stop long enough to recognize the power of this God that we serve. Um, we hear, we listen to the words of something like this passage, this message, and we agree with it, we give assent, we're like, that's great. Hey, good one today, Pastor Rich. Looking forward to Jingle Jam next Sunday. That's awesome. But we walk out of those doors with our phones in our hands, with our schedules already set, our calendars, our texts, our plans, our appointments, all of that stuff. And I wonder if in order for us to pay attention, sometimes we need something like the shock of the angels showing up in right field, waking us up and making us aware of not just our need and who we are, but that he would actually come to us. That he would come to us, a with us God. That he came for all, even me. Which is one of the reasons that this song, I Wonder As I Wander, is one of my favorite Christmas songs. Um, my sister and her family live in this incredible part of the country that I look forward to visiting again soon. Um, they live in North Carolina, but if you know where Gatlinburg, Tennessee is, uh, they live on the other side of the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, and uh, it's Appalachia country. My brother-in-law is a park ranger in the Smoky Mountains. I know, like, really, seriously? But that's, that's what she teaches in, in North Carolina, and he's a park ranger, and they're just a, an amazing family. I have an amazing sister, an amazing brother, but they're just amazing people. But it's the heart of Appalachia. I mean, there, there's an Appalachian culture. There's an Appalachian heritage there. It's just, it's, they're just steeped in it, right? It's steeped in it. And uh, in July of 1933, a man by the name of John Jacob Niles uh, entered the town just a few miles from where my sister lives now. And uh, John Jacob Miles was born in Kentucky, but he spent the majority of his life as a composer and a musician. And uh, he traveled all through the Appalachian Mountain Range, collecting music. And what would happen is he would, he would find these forgotten places. I mean, places that aren't on, on maps. And he would find this tiny little village in a, in a hollow somewhere. And he would go in, and he would begin listening to the stories and the songs of the people who lived in those areas. And we're talking about these old, weathered men and women who, when they heard that he was in town, would come out of the mountains and with these Scotch-Irish quasi-dialects that, that had been contorted and distorted over isolation for so many years, would echo and, and would sing just these haunting melodies and these powerful words, and they were very simple, but just, they were so earthy and just raw and just amazing. And so he built his career, essentially, collecting this music. And he had a little notebook he would open up, and he had his own little shorthand that he would write down the words as he heard them and, and then try to chart out the notes and everything. And he would record these things. And then he would go and he would transpose those, create that music and publish it and publish it. And so he, he'd been doing this for years and years and years and years. And so in 1933, he wanders into this town. And as he comes into town, he hears a tune that he had not heard before. And this is rare because he'd been doing this for some time. But what was even more different was how he heard this. So, again, it was 1933. It's during the Depression time. And uh, there were a lot of traveling preachers down south. And unfortunately, a lot of traveling preachers took advantage of the situation. And they would come in and promise healing and snake oil and all that kind of different stuff, collect money, and then skip town. And uh, when John Jacob Niles rolled into town, he went to the town square 
And what he heard was this little girl singing this song, Annie Morgan. And Annie's dad was Preacher Morgan. He was a preacher, traveling preacher. Now, they were a legit family, okay? But they were very, very poor. And evidently, this town had had enough preachers <laughs> that had come through and, uh, and tried to pull their, pull their leg. And they were like, yeah, you can just roll right back on out. But the problem was is they didn't have any money. And so, uh, they, and they didn't have any gas. So they were stuck. So this family then decides that they're gonna camp in the center of town, in the town square. And so they're out there doing their laundry and having a campfire and cooking and all this other stuff. And the, the preacher, he had asked the, the town elders, hey, can I, can I at least hold a meeting so that we can collect enough money for us to pay for gas to leave? You want us to leave, but we can't. And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want any of what you're selling. And so ultimately what, what it came down to was this little girl, they had, a, they had a car and they had a step that would slide into it. She stood on this little platform, this little girl, and she sang one verse, that's it. One verse of this one song. There's a little tin cup, and if anybody heard it, it'd be great if they put in anything into this tin cup so they could buy gas. So John Jacob Niles, he walks up into this situation and uh, he hears this little girl sing this one verse. And he's so moved by this. And it's not just her. It's the actual words and just the sound of this song. He was so moved that he actually sat there, got his notebook out, and kept putting quarters in her cup to have her sing this over and over and over again so he could get down every little part of this every part of it. This is what he wrote about this. He said this, her clothes were unbelievably dirty and ragged, and she too was unwashed. Her ash blonde hair hung down in long skeins, but best of all, she was beautiful. And in her untutored way, she could sing. She smiled as she sang. She smiled rather sadly. She sang only a single line of a single song. Now, unfortunately, because of streaming issues, I can't play you a clip of the song. If I was smart enough, I would ask the worship team to figure out how to play it too. Um, I've linked it in the description, and it should be linked in this description for the video right now, and uh, I shared it on Facebook a couple different times this last week, so if you had a chance to, to listen to it, Unfortunately, what you have is my broken, used-to-be-better voice. <laughs> and so, if it's okay with you, I'm going to try to sing this first verse for you. Is that all right? Um, no, don't get too excited, trust me. I think I jumped around in five different keys in one verse last service. So, But uh, the words are on the screen, and it's a very, very simple melody. I wander as I wander out under the sky. How Jesus, my Savior, did come for to die For poor, ornery people like you and like I I wander as I wander out under the sky Now that last, no. <laughs> Cut it out. All right. <laughs> That last note is off, isn't it? It ends with this dissonance. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how movies and, and stuff, they use that dissonance and that unresolution, that unresolve to, to notes to kind of cause you to be a little uneasy. It's kind of an uneasy song. And John Jacob Niles, when he heard it, he was, he was literally just taken back at just the purity of it. And... Uh, so he, gets, he goes home, and he's like, this needs more verses. And this is kind of where it gets turned into a little bit of a Christmas song. And he wrote two more verses. You can see them up there. When Mary birthed Jesus, t'was in a cow's stall, with wise men and farmers and shepherds and all, but high from God's heaven a star's light did fall. And the promise of ages it then did recall. And then the last verse. If Jesus had wanted for any wee thing, a star in the sky, 
the bird on the wing, or all of God's angels in heaven for to sing, he surely could have it. He's the king. He's the king. Uh, I love that, that song. Um, one of the accusations of the very first Christians in the first century, the Book of Acts Christians, the very first church, one of the accusations that people would levy against them is that these are unschooled, ordinary people. Why are they turning our world upside down? <laughs> Where are they coming from? These ordinary fishermen and, and shepherds. and I mean, all, where did these uneducated, unsophisticated, unreligious people come from? And why do they have so much power that our world is changing? Right in front of us. The world we've always known is being turned upside down by these right field, right corner people. What in the world? Listen, the world only gets turned upside down by right field, right corner people whose lives get turned upside down. That's who changes the world. And, and when the shepherds saw Jesus, their world was turned upside down, filled with wonder. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That's what the birth of Jesus means. Joy to the world, the Lord has come for poor, ornery people like you and like I. You know, God has made a habit of doing that ever since the beginning. Seeking out those wanderers, those unpicked, seeking out those right field players, okay? And then not only does he seek those kinds of people out, he spreads the table for them. Spreads the table. Those disciples that gathered around the table of Jesus the night before he died, the night that he was betrayed, those disciples are not people that you and I would have picked. They, they weren't. I mean, a tax collector, an enemy of the state, I mean, a, a fisherman who could not keep his mouth shut. I mean, these are not people that you and I would have picked. They were the far right corner, right field people who would not have had an audience with us. I know we kind of think that we're better than we really are, <laughs> but, but, you know, Jesus picked these people. Jesus picked those people, not the ones we would have chosen to turn the world upside down. But that's exactly who did. And it happened only because this Savior did come for to die for poor, ornery people like you and like I and like them, those disciples. And it's at that table that you and I are reminded why he came to die. Why he came to die. It's so that we might live, so that we could really live. Uh, today, as we gather together, as we participate in communion, we do that recognizing that we need what these elements represent. We need this. The forgiveness of sin, the new covenant relationship through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his broken body, his spilled blood. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were popping, you know, dandelions off in right field, unpicked, unwanted, unneeded, invisible, he came for us. He died for us. He loves us. And he spreads the table for us. If you're participating in communion at this time, I want to ask you that you prepare the elements. Maybe take that bread out of the bottom there. I want to read for you a passage of Scripture. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we participate in this, when we eat this bread, we're doing so remembering that the body of Jesus Christ was broken so that we don't have to live 
broken lives. So we do the same. We remember that today. As you take that juice, let me continue to read. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We participate in this today, acknowledging that we needed him to deal with our sins. And his blood covers a multitude of them. And we're grateful for that. So would you participate with me? Let me ask you to stand if you would. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you today, a lot of times we come to sing. Um, Would you help us to recognize that our lives sing a song? And that, Father, you, uh, you've done an amazing thing. You've reached down and you've entered into our lives. Help us to receive everything that you have for us. And I pray for us as a church, as a body of Christ, as we come to the close of one year and beginning to think about what the next year entails, I pray that you would help us to ask, honestly, the hard questions of ourselves. Who are we? What have you asked us to be? Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, help us to sing a song today with our lives, a Christmas song. Help us, Father, to live lives of joy. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Make sure you jump into the community space and check out the Free the Girls display and, and different things like that. We'll share about another organization next week. So thanks. Thanks for being here.